Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. I'd like to give a shout out to Kyle Rossman for making this awesome cappuccino. Thank you, Kyle. And Foss Coffee Cart for all you guys do, Nicole, and it's awesome. If you uh, have ever wanted to learn how to make a latte, we're here for you. So, um, well, hey, I, uh, I'm excited to continue Matthew and um, our little journey, and Jesus is starting to kind of move around quite a bit, and, uh, and so as we get in here, um, one of the things that I am pretty passionate about, my dad was actually a surveyor. He owned a surveying company with his buddy. And, uh, and so he would, we would drive through Pennsylvania and like in the middle of nowhere and we'd go over a bridge and he'd be like, oh, that's that creek. You know, I've fished that or, oh, that's that like area and this nature park. Like he knew like all of Pennsylvania in his head because he had mapped so much of it. And so today we are going to not start off with a whiteboard nor a catchy story. We're going to start off with a geographical map. So can we, can we be more, there we go. So <laughs> great intro, Trey. All right. So this is. The sea, or lake, as some would call it in the Bible, of Galilee. Uh, I've never had the chance to go, although it's on my list. And um, this, is, this is kind of the, like, uh, you know, when you have your, your Harry Potter world, your Lord of the Rings world. Like, this is, this is the Jesus world. Like, this is where it's all going on. Now, Jerusalem is down kind of on the corner off the map here. But a lot of what he's doing right now is around this area. And uh, we, we know from the last several weeks, if you haven't been here, you haven't re- uh, listened, go back and listen. He, he was doing a lot of stuff in Capernaum. And so, yeah, the Sermon on the Mount, if you look, this is actually the, the, um, the elevated map. So you can kind of see there's like hills and stuff. If you look at Capernaum, it's not like there's anything, no massive mountains. So it's probably better to call it the hills. And so he just got that down off the Sermon on the Mount or the hills, and he goes back into the city, and uh, he starts um, what, what I would call this like next level discipleship, meaning the, the people that are following him. Uh, last week we talked about two people, two different case studies of people who wanted to follow him, and basically it was like one, the one guy was like, Jesus was like, you have no idea what you're getting into, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight, and then the other guy, he was like, you can't make excuses, you got to go now, like, you can't put things in front of me and expect those to be more important than me, and so now they're, uh, they're kind of continuing that journey, and so we're going to start off in verse 23, It says, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and a great storm developed on the sea so that the waves began to swamp the boat, but he was asleep. So if you go back, sorry, go back to the the photo really quick. So they're in Capernaum, and they're going to basically the east. Now, what's funny is uh, that this whole east coast area here would be uh, considered no-go for the common Jewish person. Capernaum was unique. Capernaum was kind of like this hodgepodge of different people. There was a lot of Jews living there, a lot of Jewish influence, probably still only one synagogue, so not like this massive amount. But um, Jesus would be known in that city as a teacher. He was a Jew. Jesus was a rule-following Jew. But there was also a ton of um, Roman rule there. There was also a lot of Greek influence. The Greeks had just had basically taken over that area about a century before, I believe. And so there was a lot of what we call Hellenism, which if you paid attention in probably your 7th or 8th grade social studies class, maybe, you would learn about that. And uh, Hellenism is, most, sing- like most simply put, is very similar to what we call humanism now. 
Uh, it's like this modern idea of it's all about the human, humanity, and like our pleasures and, and intellect and knowledge. It's like all these different areas that we try to attain worth in. And so anyway, so there's this hodgepodge in Capernaum. And so what's funny is the guy who a- asked Jesus, or he tells him in the last week, he says, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. Uh, and Jesus is like, you have no idea what you're saying. That, that scribe, very likely, when he would have gotten on this boat and they realized they were going to the east, probably would have got off because the east was full of... Uh, there's not a lot, not a lot, if any, really Jews living in the East, um, and they were just not even close to Christians. A lot of them, like I said, Hellenists. And and in fact, if you've ever seen the phrase uh, the Decapolis in your in your Bibles, which was mentioned, that's ten cities, and those were all located in in the bottom right area here. So Jesus is essentially taking his mission, and he's going to the place that nobody would want to go to. Um, I, w- I guess the closest comparison is like Las Vegas, but I don't feel like that fully embodies it. So maybe it would be like, you know, you now flying to the Middle East and going to do work there. Like, you're going there, and people are like, why are you going there? Like, I don't even know if you can get there. And so th- there's, a, there's a really extreme weight that we're feeling here that we don't always realize, but we know that these disciples who are following him are all in. And we also know, if you look in verse 24, he's asleep. So I just, I love that, that Matthew puts this detail in here because we have to realize that Jesus was human. Like, he was a human and he was exhausted. And I don't know if you've had some exhausting people in your life or do, but they exhaust you and you're like, after you hang out with them, you're like, I just want to go take a nap for like five hours. And Jesus didn't just have one of those people. He had tons of those people coming after him and healing them. And um, there's a really cool episode of uh, The Chosen, which is a, this current um, Bible series on the book of, I believe John is what they're following, but um, one of the episodes is really cool. They're all sitting around the fire talking about Jesus and this stuff, and he's healing and casting out demons all day, and he comes back after a long day, and he just is, like, exhausted, like, can barely walk, and he's got, like, b- people's blood all over him, and, and he's just, like, and he's just famished, and, like, you, you, you watch it, and I just never in my life had ever pictured Jesus like that, um, but he's human, and he had hard days, and he was probably sick, and, you know, and, and so just to know that he was probably so tired that in the midst of a storm, he was sleeping on a boat, that's when you know you're next level tired. That's like when you're on a plane, and you have intense jet lag, or for those of you who maybe have went to, like, camp, or Christian camp, or when you were younger, it's like being in the back of the 15-passenger van, like, with three people, like, stuffed, to, and you're just, like, falling asleep like this somehow, like, you're not even comfy, but you're just so exhausted. That is Jesus in this moment. And uh, what's really cool and even more unique is that this boat that they're, um, that they're traveling on, they actually found a very similar replica, you can throw that up here, of what's left of it. They found this in 1986. This, is, this was a first century boat. This was what they could have, not like the exact one, maybe, but like this was what they, the size it would have been and the kind of the overall image of it. And uh, they found it through some, they found it when they had washed up, the shores had washed up and they saw it and they dug it out. And then there was pottery and stuff like that, several different things that would show them it was first century. So this is very well what it would look like. Now, the, the crazy thing about this is 13 people on this boat, which is what we would assume with the 12 disciples and Jesus, would have been very packed. Like, it's ironic that those two guys that asked Jesus, you know, like, I'm going to go. And had they have gone, it would have been pretty tight. So I don't even know if they would have had a seat on the bus. But uh, you like to think about, like, okay, it's a storm, but, like, they're not in this big pirate ship boat that you think of. It holds, like, couple hundred people. It's a tiny, almost a dinghy, um, and, and they're, they're riding in that. And what's unique about the, the sea or the lake, if you will, is it's not massive. It's about 21 miles long by seven miles wide. So on a clear day, you would see the other side. 
but, on, but it would often have these crazy storms because it was below sea level. Like these storms would just, would just grow and you couldn't see 10 feet away. Um, and so it's hard for us to always picture that because, you know, you're thinking like, oh, it's not as big as Lake Erie. Like, they'll be fine. But it was deep enough, and in a storm, it wouldn't matter, especially when you're on a boat like that with 13 other people, and, it's, and the waves are crashing up and, and all that. So it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a crazy scene. Um, we don't always think about like that, but as a youth pastor, I would drive students in a 15-passenger van, and there were some points where we would go up to northern um, Arizona where they're, like, you'd be going up these mountains, switchbacks, and there would be no guardrails. And I was like, this is kind of like that. Like, if I drive off this cliff right now, like, we're all done. And there's 15 of us in here. Now, not the same, but, but I, you can feel the pressure of it. And what's interesting about um, this story is it's, it's parallel with Mark. So we have the four Gospels, and we're going through Matthew. Mark tells a lot of the same stories. Matthew borrows from Mark. And Mark is, what, what's really cool about Mark is it's kind of, um, it's like a cool cheating. If you read Mark before you read this story, Mark has actually included several different parables before they went on this boat. So for us, we read the Sermon on the Mount. They go back into Capernaum. Jesus starts healing people, and he, he reaches disadvantaged people. And then he's like, I'm tired. Let's go across. Let's get out away from these people. Let's have some alone time. Uh, but Mark has these really unique parables about the kingdom. And what I think is so cool about that is Jesus comes down from the hills, and there's all these people following him, and they're trying to figure out, like, do I just, do they really want him, or do they just want his stuff, right? Are they just bringing their kid who's sick to him? Are they just wanting some relief, you know, whatever? Are they wanting a meal? Later, they'll just, someone just wanted a meal. We'll find that out. And, and he gets to this point where he's taking these disciples on the boat, but Mark lets us know that Jesus has been stirring this passion for the kingdom, that, that his, his, his Sermon on the Mount, which is all about the kingdom, that he, he gives them understandings about what this kingdom looks like and how powerful it is and how even the littlest bit of faith can grow this kingdom. And so it's, it's almost as if like he has taught them and he's now going into the dark, the east side of the lake, and, and he, is, he is bringing the light into the dark, right? He had just talked about that earlier in the sermon. And so when we think about that, it's like they're, they're, they're embarking on this journey with just so much fire. And I think about that as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. When people tell their stories up here every Sunday, you know, a lot of times when they have found Jesus, there's like this fire, you, like you're just on fire, right? You're like running to other countries to do trips. You're telling everybody about Jesus. You're like giving all your money away, maybe too much, you know? And you're like, I love Jesus. Everyone else needs to know, right? And then this thing hits, apathy and complacency. And you just, before you know it, you're almost kind of just dissatisfied. You're like, I just, I, I feel like everyone else, right? I don't have these strong convictions I once had. I don't have the same passion, and for these disciples, they're getting on this boat. I, I think, personally, when we read this and we read Mark, they're pumped. Like, they're excited to go see this in action. And before you know it, these fishermen who are pro, on, I mean, they fish this lake their whole life, get into this storm. And so that kind of builds your, your idea of, of, it's almost like you, you get up to go to something you're really excited about, and you have to turn back around, or, or you're going to die in this moment, because they're, they're terrified. We actually, one of our last winter camps that Sarah and I did in Tucson when I was there, um, we were so excited to go up to this lodge we usually go up to up in the mountains. And the whole like week before, the weather was not looking good. And of course, I'm like, it's just the weather, man. He doesn't know, right? And we, we take, we get up, we go, we go the whole way up there. And we're probably like, I don't know, two hours away, hour and a half away. We're starting to hit the mountains. And all of a sudden, it got to the point where it was just like pure sleet. It wasn't even like snow. It was just ice sleet. In our vans, you know, we have like three vans and a trail. We're like 
sliding, we're going up these mountains, right, with these, like, steep, steep cliffs, and so we're just like, yep, so we had to turn it back around, which we almost couldn't even do, our cars were just, like, sliding as we're turning, and we go the whole way back down, and we have our winter camp at our house with, like, 35 uh, uh, high schoolers, and you know, I mean, I wasn't super stoked. Like, I was, you know, was excited for this massive lodge in the snow, and we're, here we back are in the desert and in our, in our house that could barely fit everyone. And Yes, what? But it, it snowed, which was, like, insane. It snowed so many inches that we went sledding at our park in the desert near our house. It was crazy. And, but it was just crazy to see. Everyone was so excited, and the momentum was there, and you hit this obstacle, and you kind of have to figure out, and you kind of have to realize, like, the, the, sometimes we're so excited about the thing we want that we don't realize that a lot of the times what makes it so great is the adversity that we face, is the trials that we have, is this bonding moment, right? You guys remember when we were almost up to winter camp and we had to turn back around and we ate an In-N-Out burger and then we went to Trey's house and we, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, maybe they hated it. I don't know. It seemed like fun, but, but in this moment, this is not what they had planned, right? And, and uh, when we look here, we know that this is a bad storm because in verse 25, it says, They came to Jesus. They woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We are about to die. Now, two things here. Number one, these are fishermen. So they fish this lake. They know this is a bad storm. They're taking on water. This is a tiny boat, right? And they're all bailing buckets. And so they're like, they're going to die. There's a good chance, right? These guys know what a bad storm looks like. And they had, this is what I just don't, I can't believe it. I just can't. They had to wake him up. This is not like a big old cozy, you know, imperial ship with like bedrooms this is like a dinghy where like jesus it says he's on the back if i'm in the front like he's right there like i'm not like let me go down the stairs and check on him in the master suite like he's he's being rained on you know and and so i just if it if it i mean you read it i mean it it, even in mark it says basically that they had to wake him up and because it's not like they wouldn't have been panicking until they realized oh my gosh there's so much water in here and the rain is so bad and the waves are so bad that we have to wake him up Jesus was very tired. Have you ever been that tired? I don't know if I have, but Jesus was that tired. Now, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if he was just like, you know, he's just kind of playing a joke on him, right? He's like, these guys are freaking out. You know, I'm just going to lay here. But, but he, they wake him up, and I want you to just pause for a second because uh, in this moment, none of us, I don't know if you have, I've never, ha- I've, I lived on a lake. Uh, we had like a really old boat and the jet ski and we would drive around and I, I had been caught in the rain a few times but I've never been at the point where I'm like this is it we're done you know um, I don't know if you have maybe that'd be a really neat cool story maybe you should come up here and tell it sometime but m- maybe none of you have and so I want us to try to embody what's going on here and so I have this this uh, this painting by Rembrandt who's one of my favorite uh, Bible painters and and he's trying to give you this depiction of, of it's hard to see because of the um, the projector but they're, you know, Jesus is in the back here, and they're, like, waking him up. But, I mean, you see that boat's not that big, and there's a ton of people in there, and the waves are, you know, drawing them everywhere. And, and I, I just want you to picture that, that here these guys are, gave their life to follow this guy. To, they're pumped to go across the sea, and they're going to die in the, in the Sea of Galilee. Like, how lame is that, right? And, and I, I think about how many times in our lives we get really excited about something the Lord puts something in our heart. We're, just, we're in a really good season, and we just get man, just mashed with a trial or a really hard, like, ad- adverse experience or something like that. And, and it just, it's literally rain on your parade, right? I think the devil is, like, trying to stop what is coming that is going to be good. And so Jesus' reaction here 
is so unique. He goes from sleeping like the most human person that we could ever think of to then the most divine person ever. He says in verse 26, Why are you cowardly, you people of little faith? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it was dead calm. Now, if you read this, this is in the correct order. He literally, while everything's going on, they're drowning, they're like, help us, you know, do something, bail water. And before he stops the storm, he yells at them in the middle of the storm. I don't even know if you could picture that, but it's not like he like snapped and made it calm and he's like, how dare you guys not believe me? Like while the storm is raging and the boat is shifting and they're bailing water out, he's like yelling at them. <laughs> Can you picture that? He, he, he is so confident that he doesn't even stop the storm first to then acknowledge their disbelief. He calls them out before he even stops the storm. And I think about that, and sometimes there's moments in our life where, like I said, we're, we're running forward and something hard really hits us, and we're mad at God, and we're like, why are, you, why are you putting this in my way? Why is this happening? And Jesus does not, here in this moment, does not just remove it and say, come on, you have little faith. He's calling you in the middle of that, that trial. And I think that's why he's doing this. He's He's saying in the moment, like, I've done all these things, you've seen it. I want you, before I make this all better, I want you to sit in the reality of when things are hard, what do you turn to? And he calls them cowardly, people of little faith, and then he rebukes the wind and the sea. Now, what's, what's unique here, and we don't always catch this as Western Americans, is that uh, in this time, people had seen, like, miracles, kind of like healings and things like that. There was also, there's a dark side that can do those type of things, but it was very unheard of for anyone to, to do anything with nature, like any natural, stopping a tornado or stopping the rain or like whatever. It was only up to God, and that was unanimous. In almost all cultures, even if you didn't believe in a God, you believed in gods, there was a sun god, there was a rain god. It was never man's ability to do any of that. And he stops the storm, and the reaction you can tell in verse 27, the men were amazed and said, what sort of person is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. This isn't, I mean, they've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him with just bold, radical teachings. This man is, is amazing, but I think it's obvious before then they thought they were just following this cool teacher who can heal people, and they realized this, this man, who is this man that can just stop nature whenever he wants? And so as we, we, we finish this story, we're going to go into another one. That's the question we ask. Who is this man and even though we've gotten to hear his teachings, we've gotten to see the things that he's done, sometimes we still have trouble really believing him. Because like I said, we're experiencing trouble in our life. We're excited about something. Maybe like we're starting to realize these layers of Jesus that are beautiful, and it's changing our life. But in the midst of that, I guarantee you are having adversity push up against you. Now, I would, I would actually call it spiritual oppression is what I think it is. And I think that it's, I think, I mean, I don't want to over-spiritualize this storm, but I think the devil is trying to do a work in stopping Jesus and, and these disciples from going to the east and bringing light to the dark. And we'll learn that in the next story. It's very obvious. And, and so is there moments in your life where you're, you're starting to, I think, take really serious, awesome strides for Jesus and you're experiencing adversity, you're discouraged, you're frustrated, and you're like asking Jesus in the midst of the storm, where are you at? And he's like, what are you doing? I'm right here. In fact, I was sleeping. That's how confident I am. So as we, as we move forward here, we're, we're asking ourselves, and they're asking, who is this man? And so they land on the soil on the other side in verse 28. When he came to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. This story is also, if you're curious, echoed in Mark 5 as well. So if you ever want to read both, you could do that as well. But 
they, they land on the other side. And so could you go back to the map really quick, Sarah? Um, they, they land over, and it's actually, it's, it's, I read like several different commentaries and scholars on this. And um, now it says Gadarenes. It says the region of Gadarenes. Other, Mark says something a little bit different. Gadara is down here, which is 30 miles off the coast. So there, it's very unlikely that that was where they landed. But the region itself could extend to the shore. Now there's Gergesa, which is another really small town. And that's why this, this map is thinking they landed there. Basically, they land on the east side. And so it's, it's kind of like saying Franklin County or Columbus or inside the 270. They're all kind of the same, but they're not. And so they land regardless on the east side, which we know is not a clean Jewish area. And we know that because we're going to find pigs. And if there's pigs being raised, we know there's no Jews around. So not only that, they land at a cemetery, which is not a good place to be. But as they land here, I, I want to just, I talked about Hellenism a little bit, and I want to go back to that because um, this, is, this is really, really important for us to understand because the culture that they had in Capernaum was as modgepodge. So everyone can kind of do their own thing. Here, it is dark in terms of the Jewish perspective. It is, is Hellenistic. And so I want to read this. This is what um, one, one commentator wrote about Hellenism. It says, at its core, Hellenism was humanism. It glorified human beings above all other creatures and portrayed the human body as the ultimate in physical beauty. Truth could be known only through the human mind, and pleasure was a crucial goal in life. Now listen to this. The religious Jews of Galilee struggled against this pagan worldview. Seeing the exceptionally modern perspective of Hellenism can help us understand their struggle. Well, sometimes you think, well, the Pharisees are crazy. They were tight with rules. They have no idea what we're going through today. And he says it can actually help us understand that the, legalis- the legalistic excess of some of the religious leaders that create all these crazy rules and stuff were actually, it, it makes sense as to why they did that. And he says, how many parents make a multitude of rules to help their children avoid the temptations of the modern society? It says the glorification of sexuality, violence, wealth, and the human form and the view that only what the human mind can understand and formulate can possibly be true is the value system of humanism. So just, I mean, you, I don't know if you read that, you're like, that's today. I'm like, everyone around me, that's literally what they believe. And I, I bet people would be very fascinated if you said, yeah, we're just in the Hellenistic society. They'd be like, what is that? And you're like, oh, you know, it happened like hundreds and thousands of years ago. And it's been around for a very long time. Nothing new, right? Wealth, sex, violence, pleasure, <laughs> only what you think is what is true. And these Jewish people are dealing with that. And Jesus does not run away from that. He does not... Um, resort to what, what some Christians did was they became Pharisees, they created rules, they were afraid of the fear of that, or they ran away to small little, you know, mountains and became like monks and cloistered themselves. Instead, he runs to the Decapolis, this area where Jews were like, I ain't going there. And, and right, so right off the bat, Jesus is, you know, you're, you're, if you're listening to this, which Matthew's written to Jewish people listening, they're like, oh boy, he's going there? I hope not. So he's, he's landing in Gentile country, which is which is this terrible Hellenistic area. Number two, he's, he's landing and hanging out in a cemetery, which is where these demons were, which is also a no-no, unclean, full of evil spirits. Today, I don't know, but I don't hang out in a cemetery at night. Like, no. And, and, uh, and the third thing is that he encounters two demon-possessed men. Not only is he a cemetery, he, so uh, facts check out here, there are some spiritual demons in a cemetery because there's two demon men who have been living there. And these men were so demon-possessed that they, it says in Mark, if you read it, that they were, they were unable to be held back with chains. They cut themselves and cried out. And if you notice in this story, in both stories, the men don't talk at all because they're so controlled by demons that only demons get to talk. 
So you have this just, I mean, you couldn't pick a crazier story for Jesus to bring these disciples to after he had just calmed the entire nature over um, the sea. And here's what the demons immediately think upon him. See, they're asking, who is this man? And the demons immediately know. And this is what the demons say in verse 29. They cry out, son of God, leave us alone. Have you come here to torment us before the time? A large herd of pigs was feeding some distance from them, and then the demons begged him, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Now, if you're reading here, you're noticing it's a plural. The demons are talking plural, and in Mark, their name is Legion. Legion was a, a, an amount of men or soldiers, and uh, so we know there's a couple thousand demons possessing these two men, and we can tell later because Matthew will tell us how many pigs are there uh, around 2,000. And so there's just thousands of these demons just living in these men, right? Dwelling in these men. And they are able to identify the Son of God. I have told you this before, but the most terrifying thing is, is knowing that, like, and I say terrifying in a good way, is that Jesus is so powerful that even the demons are afraid of him immediately. I don't think you realize, like, we, we think of Jesus as a kind guy and a loving guy, and he's like our brother, and God is just loving. And I, we forget how powerful Jesus says that demons flee when he's around. And, and in this moment, there's several thousand demons, and they are terrified. And they say, whatever you do, like, please, please don't torment us, because they know, and this is what we learned from this, this is a really important passage about demons, because no one in America wants to talk about demons, is that they, demons know that, they, that they're not going to win in the end. They know that there will be a time for judgment and, and punishment from, and, and Jesus will do that with his power. They know it. They're like, is, is our time now, basically, and not only that, but it, we see this reality of them. That they are dwelling in our physical world, right? In, they embody people, and in fact, they ask to be ca- cast into another physical um, a pig. And, and so this is helpful for us to know because I think sometimes we act like demons are just like in the air, but there's this realm of them wanting to, wanting to engage in the physicality of our world. Now, I don't know if you've been around someone who I, you would think was extremely demon-possessed, um, I have only had a few encounters in my life, but I will tell you that there is a physical aspect of them taking over their body. And you hear these stories about maybe exorcisms, and it's like it takes six grown men to hold down someone because of how strong they are because of the demonic presence. And so we have to acknowledge the physicality of this, that this is not like just some weird thing that happens in the Middle East, but that demons will do what they want to do to win and to continue to win in their own way. So whether it's the physicality and the scaring, these guys would break chains. People are like, we're not going to get near him, right? I think in America, you don't have to break chains. You just have to hate yourself and isolate and self-loathe. Or, you know, I mean, there's so many other ways that would be more effective. But no, no matter what, when we read this passage and you read Mark, is Jesus, Jesus is completely in control. Just like when he's sleeping on a boat and he makes the, the wind stop. And so he uses one word and he says, go. So they came out and they went into the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake and drowned into the water. In one word, Jesus says, go, and they're gone. And if you've ever felt like, maybe you felt demonic oppression in your life or you've had someone praying over you in Jesus' name and, and you felt that power, I mean, you, you've like, yeah, I've lived that. I know what that is. There's this power in Jesus' name that can't be explained and they're gone. And uh, what's unique about this pig thing, because everybody's very like, what is up with the pigs, right? These demons clearly wanted to go back into something, right? And so they go into these pigs and they immediately cause the pigs to freak out 
And I know you're like, this is crazy, but it caused the pigs to freak out. The pigs run down the cliff into the lake. Now, can you put back up the map just one more time? Last time, I promise. Now, what's really unique about this is if you look at where Gergesa would be, maybe the whole way even down the east coast, there's cliffs, but there's nothing crazy. Like, it's not near as steep as over here on the west side. And so the odds of them, like, it's like running off this, like, 100-foot cliff into the water is not necessarily, it could be possible, but if you even look at, like, an elevation map and all that, it's, there's not these huge cliffs. So when you read this, we, we notice that they immediately start rushing. And, and, and actually, another fun fact, I didn't know this, pigs can swim. So even if they went off a little cliff into the water, a lot of them probably could have swam, um, which I did. I was like, I wonder how a pig swims. But anyways, they can swim. And so, but they all die. And I think what it's showing is, is the demonic oppression, I think, crippled them so much so that it, it didn't matter. Like, they were just done. And the demons had terrorized them so greatly. And it shows us the weight of what the demons were doing to those two men, right? That it just caused this herd of pigs to just basically kill, like, run off a cliff, kill themselves. And, and we, we read that, and we realize that there is a, there's a, that is a great power, a great demonic power. And Jesus said one word, and it was gone. Like, in order to see the, word, the, word, the weight of Jesus' word go, we have to see what, how powerful the demons were, and they just made 2,000 pigs jump off whatever and, and all die. And so what's, what's crazy is the reaction uh, the herdsman, in verse 33, the herdsman runs off. I mean, I can't imagine. Well, he's like, well, there went my livelihood. And he went into town, and he told everything that happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the town came to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they rejoiced. They begged him to leave their region. What some see as freedom, miraculous, others are terrified and fearful of, Right? There's times where I think people encounter true freedom in Jesus, and I think people are just like, whoa, get away from me. And the reason why is because light, when it is truly among us, it casts out darkness. And if you've ever shown a flashlight in a dark room, you start to see other things that aren't even like, directly being shown. And I think those people don't want to acknowledge the darkness that they're living in. And so it's easier to push it aside and say, actually, get out of here. Because they're worried about the, they care more about the pigs, right? Than the two men who they couldn't even chain up and who they couldn't even talk to or have a life with. They care more about the pigs than the men. And uh, in Mark's account, he has a little bit more of an ending to this. And 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 the man is the um, the the guy that was the guys that were demon possessed. Jesus basically calls them to go and to preach the gospel in those cities. He tells them to go into those areas, which is crazy, and and uh, and and share the gospel. And I think about like. Freedom in this story, and what's so cool about it is, it didn't matter how, how, how demonically oppressed they were, they found freedom. And freedom, the, the result of that is them just like wanting to give themselves away to the kingdom. And I can't imagine the disciples seeing this. Who is this man? The demons are like, oh, he's the son of God. And then all of a sudden, he casts all these demons, and they see these men healed, and they find, they find freedom. And then you have the crowd who wants nothing to do with it. And uh, one, of the, one of the scholars, um, his name is P. Uh, Levertov, he, he says this quote, and I think it's just really, really true. He says, all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers pigs. Refusing Jesus because it prefers pigs. And so what I think this story is really about is, is it our comfort prioritizing the power of Jesus. So, for instance, even though maybe we've seen Jesus' power in our life, we still would just rather keep doing what we're doing. We still would just much rather enjoy the comforts, the pleasures, 
Like, we know that Jesus is real, but we just, we don't, it, it would change too much, right? So it's easier just to be like, hey, can you just leave? Can I just distance you? Can I not be fully honest with you? Can I continue to hide these, some of these things that I really want to hold on to and just, and, and just leave? And, we, and I, I think that, that when we read this and we read the disciples, the, the faithlessness they had, right? He calls them cowards when they're drowning and they're going to die. And it's, it's just this reality that, like, at the end of the day, the disciples, these the people in this town, these men that were freed, do we believe and trust in the freedom of Jesus and the power that he gives us? And, and at the end of the day, both these stories, because they're kind of their own story, but they blend together, as you can tell, right? The end of the story is, is really about spiritual oppression. Uh, I, I titled this Storms and Swine. It's easy to remember, alliteration. Uh, but what it's, what it's really about is, I think the storms are about these, these trials, circumstances, the things in our life that are causing us to be just kind of stuck, right? Like you're mad at God, you don't think he's present, whatever it may be, right? But then the, the, um, the swine, the pigs, are these like luxuries of life that distract us, this apathy, that, the things that we pursue that are comfortable, that we want, like the Hellenists, the humanism, that aspect. And both of those, Jesus just cuts completely down. And, but that, that was his entry point into humanity, like into the world to save the world. Like if you're looking at him bringing light into a very dark place, the entrance into that was cutting down the storms, the trials, and it was, it was showing power over just the comfort, the, the, the normalcy, and even, even the demonic power that oppresses people. And so as we, uh, as we like kind of wrap this up, right, and try to, try to make this tangible in our own life, um, we have to think about the, the, the only ingredient that we can really use in this to save us is Jesus. Jesus' is power. And, and power is not something that we necessarily love to think about in the realm of the spiritual and the demonic and the, uh, in, in that realm. We only think of power as like, do you have money? Do you have influence, right? We think about it in a very, very closed lens. You go, to, you go to other countries in the world that see power in a very different lens, they will tell you that that is silly, <laughs> Um, I remember reading a story about a missionary who had talked about how people see different, different lenses of God, where they're at, depending on their culture and, and what they kind of respect. And so we're really focused on guilt and righteousness and that aspect of, of our feeling guilty about our sin and Jesus giving us righteousness. And then, but then in Africa and other countries in that area, that they're much more consumed uh, with the fear power lens. Is God actually more powerful than the demonic the demons, the demonic oppression, and things like that. And, and he was telling a story about how he was like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, I don't really know if I buy it. And he had went to this country in Africa, and he was talking about how they, they were going to, there was this small tribe that was having encounters with the other tribe, and they were, t- they were fighting, and, and they were like having all these witch doctors come and like cast spells on these troops. And he was just like, this is, this is like silly, right? And he's like, oh no. He's like, he was basically like, there's been several times where, you know, we've, we've, they've seen people be shot, and the bullets just like bounce off them. And, 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 you know, and he's just like, this is crazy, you know, and then everyone around is like telling all these stories, right, about these things that, that I don't know about you, but I'm like, I don't see that on TikTok or YouTube or like, you just don't, right? And so we read this and we're like, yeah, these men are demon possessed. Okay, they're like a little unstable. They're probably just schizophrenic, right? That's what everybody in modern science says. Oh, they're just schizophrenic, right? Um, or super bipolar or whatever, right? I think there's something more here. And I think what the devil wants us to think is, eh, it's not really like, they're not really that big of a deal, right? The 2,000 pigs just happen to run off a cliff and all drown. You know, and, and, and so we read this. Let's, like, take serious the weight of, of spiritual oppression because if we don't take that serious, we're not going to take serious Jesus' power. 
So I want to invite the band up, and I want to close with this. I want to actually turn back to the Old Testament to close with this in Exodus 14. Exodus 14, very, very at the, near the front end of your Bible, there is this moment in verse 10, if you've heard about the Israelites being enslaved by, the, by Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they're running away because Moses is trying to lead them out of there. And, uh, and, it, and this is the, the Pharaoh decides, oh, you know what, I'm going to go get my people back. They're running away. And he chased them with chariots. In verse 10, it says, when Pharaoh got closer, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified. The Israelites cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, which is, this is almost funny. It's funny how they have humor in the middle of this, right? I would not have this kind of humor, but is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the desert? It's kind of funny. What in the world have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians because here it is. It's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. There is comfort and there is commodity and there is the people who ran away preferred the pigs over Jesus. This is the Israelites preferred slavery in Egypt because they couldn't imagine trusting God in the midst of the desert. And, and they'd rather be comfortable by the pain and trials because at least we know that, right, than taking the leap of faith and trusting in Jesus and finding freedom. Some of us would rather be in pain that we felt because we, we know what it feels like and we'd rather just think that's safer and we think we maybe, maybe deserve that and we're not fighting for freedom. And this is what Moses says in verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord or Yahweh that he will provide for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will never ever see again. And he says, the Lord or Yahweh will fight for you and you can be still. If you remember all the way back to week one and two of the series on Matthew a long time ago, Jesus' name literally means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. And the Lord had been saving people with natural weather. He parted the Red Seas, right? And he led them through in trust in the desert. And these disciples are seeing God, Yahweh saves, in person, stilling the waters. And all they have to do is be still. And I just think about that, that Jesus, he's in this business of saving, and he has the power to do it. And so as I close, I just want to ask you a few questions as we as we take a moment um, for the Lord's Supper, is the first question is just general. Am I journeying with Jesus? Am I following Jesus? And, and if you are on this journey, maybe you're even not, are you experiencing spiritual oppression? And I, what I mean by that, and that can be defined by a lot of different things, but I think the storms and the swine give you that idea. Am I experiencing a storm, trials, hardship, lack of control, or trust, right? It just feels oppressive. Am I, am I struggling with the swine aspect? Idols, distractions, apathy, uh, you name it. Am I, am I feeling that? Has there, been something, has there been something in my life that I've been trying so hard to fight against? Has there been a sin? Have I been just eaten alive by pornography? Have I been just anxious and so just fearful because I want to control things and I just can't? Have I been um, worried and uncertain about the future? Have I been doubting God and his plan for me and the things that I thought he deserved to give me but hasn't given me yet? All these type of things, right? Am I, am I feeling oppressed? And the last question is just, will you receive freedom from it? And I, I think when we read these stories, we see freedom from doubt in the disciples. We see freedom from thousands of demons in these men's lives. And Jesus is here to do that. And, I, and all we have to do 
And it says in James is we just have to pray in Jesus' name. And I know that it sounds crazy, and we have people in the back who are going to do that for you. So if at any point in the next minute or so or during the song, if you would like to receive prayer and you want to find freedom, we have people in the back who are going to pray in Jesus' name over you, and, and we want to see freedom in your life. Um, if you are someone who believes in Jesus, this is also an opportunity for you to take what we call the Lord's Supper, which is um, the, bread and the, ju- the bread and the juice, and that's just a reminder of his freedom over sin for us. And so I'm going to give us a minute to reflect, and then we're going to sing one last song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.